The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. What's going on, everybody? It's Alex Fishbein back again with the Atlantic Files. And we, of course, are still presented by BasketballSocietyOnline.com. Make sure you check out the website. Check out all the new posts we have coming. We have our top 50 coming as well. So make sure you keep your eyes on the website while we release our top 50 players in the league. And, of course, I am also a part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. You probably heard that at the top of the podcast. So make sure you check out all of those podcasts as well. Now, let's jump in to this new episode. First off, I know I haven't been around a little bit. There, you know, We had a little bit of a hiatus, some things going on. We have a, a, little, a little rebrand here. If you don't follow the Twitter, you probably already saw it, but... We introduced a new logo here, so hope you guys at least like the new logo. Hope you like the new look, uh, and we will be using this going forward for the new season. We'll see, you know, if we want to change things up every season going forward, or you know, keep this look for a while here. So we'll see what happens uh, with, with the the look of the podcast as well. So into the actual episode here. I want to talk a, a few things here. I want to talk about the presented lottery reform. I want to talk about, you know, the mellow ranking talk and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about the Sixers finally hiring a new athlete care uh, person. And some. And we'll, we'll end it off here with some interesting stats that I've seen through Twitter, through Reddit, whatever it may be. Something that, you know, I figured we, we should talk a little bit about. But First things first, Woj reported that the proposed lottery reform would start with the 2019 draft. So not this upcoming draft, it would start with the draft after. Among the changes, one of them was the three worst teams would share a 14% chance at the number one overall pick. Now, if you recall before, the last place team got about, I think it was like a 25% chance, and then it kind of lessened from there. So obviously the worst team got the best chance at the, the number one pick, and then second worst, third worst, they all had a little bit uh, less of a chance to get that first pick, but they, they had the biggest chance of getting the number one pick, and they also set it so that as number one, you couldn't drop lower than it was either like number three or number four. And then if you were number two, if you were the second worst, it couldn't drop lower than like fourth or fifth pick, that kind of stuff. So now they want to split this chance up evenly between the three worst teams, giving them a 14% chance. So... Let, let, let me break this down for you. To Just to picture it in my head, I, I looked at, 
you know, a, uh, like if you take those ping pong balls, you throw a hundred of them in there, you have 14 of them for each team. Well, so that that would be a little bit more than 14%. So let's just say the the worst team let's let's just go with the Sixers since they got the number 1 pick. So if you had 100 balls, there would be a there would be 14 Sixers ones in there. That's it. Out of 100. And so you're telling me that even if a team wasn't tanking, but they just happen to be the worst team, Kind of like a Brooklyn Nets kind of team. One who, you know, traded away a lot of their pieces to try and compete. They weren't trying to tank. I I mean, this is kind of common knowledge at this point. But the Brooklyn Nets were not trying to tank at the time. Billy King made his move so that they could try and be a contender. They thought that Jason Terry, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett past their prime would help them win a championship with guys like Darren Williams and Joe Johnson. And Brooke Lopez. Yes. If you're thinking, wow, you know, thinking back like, that really was a terrible move. Yeah, yeah, it, I mean, it really was. But anyway, so they sink to the bottom of the NBA. Um, Say they had their pick instead of trading all of those picks away. They now only have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. And we're talking about a team, for the longest time, that Brooke Lopez was by far and above their best player. I mean, like, far, far and above their best player. They got Jeremy Lin. So Jeremy Lin is decent. He's in there. He's he's in the mix. Still, Brooke Lopez, best player on the team. And you want to tell me that you want to lessen their chance of trying to finally get a draft pick to get this team back into relevancy and get this team to not be a laughing stock. But also give better chances to the teams, say, like the Orlando Magic, who have try have been trying to rebuild continuously for for good amount of time and even teams like the minnesota timberwolves who haven't made the playoffs in like 14 seasons sorry i think it's around i think it's around third if if they don't make the playoffs this year i think that would be 14 seasons but so you're telling me those guys who quote unquote everyone says they're you know rebuilding the correct way You're telling me that they would get a better chance than a team like the Nets that were not intentionally tanking. This makes no sense. Because what this does is creates a rich, the rich get richer kind of of scheme. What happens to the teams that are actually bad and that actually need the pick to get better? Yes, I know you're trying to um, discourage teams to not n- not tank. You're, you're trying to discourage teams to to do from doing what the Sixers did. 
I understand that. I understand you don't want people doing that because, you know, those few seasons in there, the Sixers were god-awful, and they didn't even win 20 games. I get it. I understand. I mean, not a lot of people want to see that. Did you notice, though, that the majority of the Sixers fans were still supporting them throughout the whole thing? Like, yeah, their their ticket sales weren't as uh, as high as they were. But now, through that rebuilding process, they just sold the most season tickets before the season actually started in, like, Sixers franchise history, I believe. So... While, yes, you don't want to see that kind of thing happen, it's not like this took away from the NBA as an as a total product. It's not like this damaged the NBA. A lot of people started really rooting for teams like Golden State, teams like Cleveland. You had teams like Milwaukee on the, on the rise that people are really enjoying. You have teams like Boston who are now in the number one seed and everything. Uh, after rebuilding and getting a, a lot of draft picks from the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, it's not like one, two, three teams tanking is going to hurt the entire product of the NBA. People who are watching might be like, yeah, this team's bad, but, you know, they might still go to the game because they know their team's going to get a win. There has been plenty of times, now I'm talking from experience here in Philadelphia, that in past seasons, like the ones with Doug Collins as the head coach, a lot of people would go to a game because, and this is the casual to lesser fans, they would go to a game because they knew that the Sixers were going to beat this other team. Like if they were facing the Charlotte Bobcats at the time, they would go because they were like, oh, this is a win, so let's go see a win. So it's not like that hurts from the standpoint of the opposing team selling tickets either now sure there's probably some kind of of statistics out there that might you know show otherwise but there's also always counter statistics to go on top of that obviously i don't have access to these kind of statistics right now if someone does i'd love to see them but that's beside the point this lottery reform is very short-sighted. Really, all it is is, hey, if we do this, people won't want to tank. Although, at the same time, if you think about it, tanking still gives you the best chance of a top pick. So, some teams would probably still try to do it. And if they do... And if they're committed to it like the Sixers were, that might mean they have to tank for more seasons. So, just just look at, look at this for a second. If you don't want teams tanking, if you already just give them the best chance at the number one pick, they get their pick, bam, they're a better team, they don't want to tank anymore. So at the most, you're seeing a team tank for one season instead of what the Sixers did and tank for like three to four seasons because they weren't getting the number one pick. And they were always getting that third guy who was either hurt, who just either wasn't good enough. And then when they finally get their number one pick, they started putting together pieces. And they started trying to win. They were a fun team to watch last season. 
And now they got some free agents. They got some people coming because these guys have some young talent. And other players want to play with young talent. But, you know, let's lessen their chances of a number one pick. And let's make them wallow in irrelevancy while they try and get another player when really all they're going to do now is if they can't get a player in the draft, they're going to try and throw tons and tons of money at mediocre players to become their best player and just stay in mediocrity. And sure, you get some teams that'll win like, you know, high 20, low 30 amount of games. And people will be like, oh, well, at least they tried. That makes no sense at all. That is even more boring than watching a team tank for a season and then, bam, they get a really franchise-changing player and all of a sudden they're exciting again because people want to go see this new player. This makes no sense watching a team just sit there at, like, that ninth, 10th seed and never make the playoffs. The Minnesota Timberwolves with Kevin Love. I remember watching them a lot because Kevin Love was was a pretty good player back then. I mean, not to say he's not a good player now, but you know he had his, his like 20 and 20 games. But after the first season or two, it was really boring because it was just like, all right, he's going to have a good game. They might win one or two here and there, and then they're not going to make the playoffs. So they're just going to go home. I'm never going to get to see him in the postseason. So, I mean, like, you gotta, you got to allow uh, these teams that are not winning as much to get a franchise-changing player because without that, they're not going to ever become a contender. Sure, you can try and trade people, but a lot of teams aren't going to trade their superstars unless you have something in return that they would want. And if it, at that point, if you make like that's another thing you have to look at here are the trades. So if you make these chances of a of a top pick less, then that gives these teams that are thinking about trading their superstars. Like, okay, if you were the Indiana Pacers trying to trade Paul George and you have a decision between a team that has that is most likely going to get a number one pick with like that 25% chance. If they try and trade you that pick compared to a team that has a 14% chance to trade for, for like to, to get the number one pick, you're going for that other, the, the better chance pick every single time. And with that other one, you're thinking, I don't know. I think I need more on top of that 14%. For our superstar player that has been the cornerstone of our franchise for a number of years. Yeah, I think we're going to need more than that. But those teams don't have more to offer because they already suck. So, as a team who wants to trade their superstar, if this worst team wants to get better by trading for a superstar, well, their pick all of a sudden doesn't... It, it, it's not worth as much. Because your chances aren't better well, aren't that much better at getting a number one pick. So what makes anyone want to trade for a superstar player at that point? Really? Like, this this lottery form, it, to sum it up, 
This lottery reform is very short-sighted. It's dumb, and they should at least just keep it how it is. I still think it should just go worst team gets the number one pick. I think we should be it should be made simple and just roll with it. Like the last team to tank uh, when they finally changed everything, uh, like to even create the lottery, was when the Rockets got Hakeem Olajuwon. That made them a contender, and then they won a championship out of it. Now, you don't really get many teams that go from like that number one pick or the lottery, the like the top three pick consistently to a championship. You don't really see that much. You see it with Cleveland, but that's only because LeBron came back. And with the Golden State Warriors, they made most of their picks in the middle of the first round. And they they scored on some second round picks. But teams like Cleveland became relevant because they got the number one pick. They got LeBron James. Teams like uh, previously Seattle Supersonics, now the Oklahoma City Thunder, became relevant because they got Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden at the time. Making their chances worse does not make the league as a product better. That's just how it is. Now, in this same, like, reform proposal, you know, when they vote on all the new rule changes, uh, Adam Silver also has, a, a, it, it, like, added a discretion in there to fine teams for resting multiple players in a single game or healthy ones in national TV games. I have a couple things with this. This rule definitely has good intentions because as we saw, you know, like when they rested LeBron James and those guys on national TV, nobody liked it because you you watch the national TV games to see the big name guys. Obviously, like this isn't news. Like we, we all know this. So when you rest a guy who's healthy, who's not 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 nursing a nagging injury, he's not, you know, uh, suffering from one that doesn't allow him to play, well, then it's frustrating. And I can see it from the standpoint of any fan, really. I, I can I can understand it. But if this is like a back-to-back, like they, they've, they have a lot of, I know that since they, they're starting the, the season earlier, they're limiting some of the back-to-backs, but I still understand the viewpoint from the trainers, from the coaches, and from the front office of why you might want to rest some guys on a back-to-back. I understand that as well because that gives you higher risk of getting hurt. I get it. I understand that. I think that what this will do is going to force teams to kind of fake an injury. I'm, I'm, I hope that's not the case, but if a team really thinks that their guy needs some rest, I think what this is going to do is, you know, say, kind of like in uh, uh, baseball, when you see a pitcher that gets rocked, and they're like, oh, well, he hurt his finger, so he's going on the IR. No, you just got rocked. 
like a lot of the times it doesn't really seem like it's an injury that happened. They just got rocked and their ego got hurt. So not saying that these guys in basketball egos are hurt or anything like that. I just think that if they do really need some rest, the the trainers and stuff are just going to write up some random diagnosis and they're just going to be like, oh yeah, you know, um, he's got some knee soreness and we're just being careful. Like we're all going to know that it's, it's some BS, but at the same time you can't say anything because it's on the injury report. Well, like Adam Silver, Adam Silver and the, the, uh, league office can't say anything. So they'll still get their rest. I mean, there's always ways around this kind of stuff. And I think that's just what's going to happen is they're going to find those ways. So moving on here to the mellow ranking talk. Obviously, everyone has been talking about it that ESPN ranked mellow down at 64th. He was ranked under Lonzo Ball and only one spot ahead of Marcus Smart. I did not think that this this time was going to come that he was really ranked under a rookie who has yet to play a single game in the NBA and ranked only one spot higher than a point guard who hasn't averaged more than like 10 points a game. Let me let me look this up because I want to I want to make sure that this is actually what okay he he averaged 10.6 points a game last season so and on top of that on top of that the best field goal percentage he's shot in a season is 36.7 we're talking about Marcus Smart here and you're going to tell me that he is only one spot worse than one of the best scorers we have ever seen people want to talk about oh he hogs the ball oh he's uh you know playing hero ball like that that era is gone sure that era is gone but you still cannot deny that Melo is one of the best scorers in league history this man can score from anywhere on the floor and only, I can probably only name like three people, maybe, that couldn't contain Carmelo even right now. We're going to sit here and act like the, act like 60 some or even 50 some people can guard Melo, let alone play a better offensive game than Melo? Really? Now, if you go check out Basketball Society's rankings, we have him ranked uh, in the um, the lower 30s or the mid 30s, and even there seems a little bit low for him. I get I get kind of confused with like high low in rankings since like number one is like the highest ranking, but technically number wise it's the lowest number. So bear with me but the fact that like like people people talk about oh it's just rankings blah 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 man that is straight disrespect to put this man underneath a rookie 
whose only games against other NBA talent has been Summer League. He hasn't even played a preseason game, and you want to tell me he's better. Like, it's it's mind-boggling, to say the least. And I completely agree with Draymond Green, who said, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like he is the mellow he was five years ago, but the 64th best player in the NBA? All right, five years ago, he was maybe sixth. He ain't effing 64 now. Like, that's that's the truth. That is the naked truth. Five years ago, this man was probably top five in the NBA. Top five. When he first went to the Knicks and they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, there was not a person in the league that could play defense against Melo. The only reason he was missing shots or something is because he was off. There was nobody that could play defense against him because he could make any shot he wanted to. So you're telling me in those five years, he drops all the way to 64? Now, don't get me wrong. There are guys who can regress that quickly. Don't get me wrong. There are guys who can do that. We've seen guys regress very, very badly. And, you know, it's been ugly and you kind of wish that they retired earlier. I get that. But Melo's not that old. Melo hasn't regressed that much. And one of the interesting stats that I that I saw that I also want to bring up, the only this this was from Reddit, the only players to never average less than 20 points per game in a season are LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, Bob Pettit, and Alex Groza. Joel Embiid's also in there, but I'm not counting him since he only played one season and he only played like 30-some games. But, like, we we have to to be real here. He still has yet to average less than 20 points a game. The man's only 32, 33 years old? He didn't have, he didn't even have his worst season in terms of field goal percentage or points last season. I understand he's not a guy that shares the ball often. I understand that. We all understand that. But that doesn't mean his offensive game is the 64th best. Like, we we understand that a lot of people don't like Melo because of his style of play. And he's still in that hero ball mode. But give me a break. 22.4 points a game. 6 rebounds a game. 3 assists a game. On 43% shooting. 36% from 3. And this is from a guy who is playing small forward and power forward. Like... Give me a break. 64 is ridiculous. He's definitely top 50. At the very least, he's definitely top 50. Personally, I believe he is top 30. Some people think he is just top 50, top 40, 
whatever it may be. But anything outside the top 50 is blasphemous. It just really is. And we should all know by now that ESPN likes to do this crap to get more attention. And yes, I'm giving them attention right now. But it just had to be addressed. So, moving on again. The Sixers hire a new guy for athlete care. They announced the hiring of Dr. Daniel Medina as VP of Athlete Care. Previously, he was with FC Barcelona as the Deputy Director of the Sports Science. Um, Quote, it remains our mission to excel and innovate at every possible facet of athlete care and performance. End quote. That is from Derek Bodner. If they were really serious about this remaining their mission to excel and innovate at every possible facet of athlete care, there shouldn't be this many injuries in the first place. If that was actually true, if people didn't finally call them out on their BS with all of these injuries happening, then that shouldn't even be said. Because they would have already been there. That like that's that's the bottom line fact of that if If you really were paying attention to being the top team in athlete care, performance, training, and injury prevention, because that falls under athlete care is injury prevention, then this shouldn't even be a conversation. And your players should not have been hurt for hundreds of games. Obviously, hindsight is 20-20, but that's, that's the bottom line there. Um, The other two interesting stats here I have for you guys to wrap this up here. Um, Some of the stats from the Hardwood Paroxysm account. Uh, Justin Holiday was 10th league-wide in points off of cuts last year. Um, And that was on a Knicks team that didn't pass the ball often. If you get this guy in a a high-motion offense in a team that likes to share the ball a la San Antonio Spurs... Uh, Golden State Warriors, um, even teams like the Milwaukee Bucks who need some more guys to get open, Justin Holiday would be scoring a lot of points on cuts. Another guy who was near the top was Sean Kilpatrick of the Brooklyn Nets. He averaged 1.395 points per possession on cuts. And that was on the Brooklyn Nets, also a terrible team. These guys are very nice role players that could really help out a a top team, but teams really haven't seen that yet. I believe that Justin Holiday could be a very nice shooter off the bench for a contending team. And Sean Kilpatrick can also be a nice scoring bench player. But these teams haven't really figured out that they would really need these guys. And I think it's also a fact of that Brooklyn is probably asking for a little bit too much for Sean Kilpatrick because they realize how good of a player he has become for them. I'm not saying he's become like surefire starting talent in the NBA, but he has become a respectable role player at the very least. And so they would want at least something of equal value in return. So obviously they're probably asking for a little bit there and that's probably plays a part as to why better teams aren't getting their hands on these guys anyway that's it for me guys thank you for listening to another episode of the atlantic files make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com 
Our running list of our top 50 players in the league is on the website right now. Make sure you check that out. Let us know what you think about the rankings. And make sure you check out the other podcasts in the Underdog Sports Network. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.